Good morning, everybody. How's it going? I'm sorry to interrupt such great fellowship. So awesome to see this amazing amount of chatting. The, the screen said three minutes, but if they give us three hours, still wouldn't be enough, eh? <laughs> we just like fellowshipping and hanging out and talking. Um, yeah, it is such a, a beautiful privilege uh, to be with you this morning. I'm so grateful uh, for just everybody here today. Um, I, I'm sorry, I need to advertise a little bit. If you notice, my beautiful wife and I are wearing the same clothes. <laughs> um, and the thing is that it's because today we've been married for three months. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So we definitely are so grateful for the family and we just want to keep celebrating the amazing things that God is doing um, in our lives. We've been doing a series in the book of Acts. Last week we had a little bit of a, a stop in the exegesis or whatever you call it of the, the book and Uncle Neil gave us a great lesson on what it means to be together, this constant theme throughout the book of Acts that we are in this together. And brothers and sisters, the only way that the mission of God is going to be accomplished is through us working side by side together. Don't you think those songs were incredibly appropriate this morning? Side by side, they will know we are Christians by our love. We will work hand in hand. We will do whatever we need to do. But people will know we're disciples by the way we love one another. It's what Jesus said and it's what we're going to live by. Uh, before we go into the lesson this morning, let me just pray. It is, it is so hard to even try to begin um, to conjure up words and phrases that it will be good enough to describe that the magnitude and the majesty and the power of your love, it is, it is impossible. I mean, your word says that your love is beyond our understanding. So how can we possibly say it with words? How can we possibly put you, God, in, in, in this box of words that we can describe? Yet you're so indescribable. You're so much bigger than our lives, so much bigger than our minds, so much bigger than our understanding, so much bigger than the situations that we been living in, and God, it's been a hectic week, it's been a painful week, it's been a, a, a things have happened that have shook us and have put us in, in, in places of fear, and, and we don't even know how to respond, yet God, I, I've been feeling like you've been speaking to me this entire morning through the songs that we've been singing, that you're just telling us, to la Israel. You are fighting for us. You will give us the victory and you're telling us, I'm in my holy temple. Let the whole world be silent. Amen. 
We trust you, God. We trust you so much. We're incredibly dependent upon you. And your grace is what leads us on. Your grace is what carries on on forward. Your love is what will move us from this desperate and hopeless place to an incredibly joyful and hopeful place because we trust you, King Jesus. We absolutely trust that you have the power, that you are enthroned right now and everything is on your control. And when we look upon your word and when we look upon upon your truth, we are assured and certain and completely satisfied that the evil that we see around us is not the reality that you are all about, that you are conqueror, that you're victorious, that you will win and you will take us, God, with you. And you will be victorious over our evil in ourselves, over our evil world, over the evil principalities that are always around us. You have conquered at the cross. And we worship you for that this morning. And we're together, gathering together to sing to you, to praise you, to worship you. Because we also need those songs. We need to be reminded of the hope that we have in you. And right now, I just pray that as we open up your word, you will remind us of the grace that we have. Of the hope that we have in your grace and how much joy that brings. Please, at this moment, Holy Spirit, fill us up with your truth. Fill us up with your presence. Fill us up with your word. So as we hear you speaking, we will be convicted. We will be encouraged. We will be comforted. We will be transformed by the power of your word, by the power of your love. So yes, God, we bring this whole service before you and we pray some pleasing aroma to you. And I pray, God, that you will just speak to us right now, Holy Spirit. Speak to us right now. We love you so much, so, so much, and we pray all of this in your holy name. Amen. Please, if you are with carrying a Bible, if you have one in your phone, go to the book of Acts, chapter 15. We're going to be reading uh, the first 30-something verses, so there's a little bit of reading here, and I want to go through it quite quickly so that we can understand a key message that I think is very important and very applicable and very relevant for our situations today. Um, so the last thing we, we checked out in the story is that Paul and, and Barnabas don't seem to stop no matter what they're going through. No matter the circumstances, they continue going and they continue preaching the gospel. And we talked about how it is necessary. It is necessary to go through suffering, persecution and trial in order to be in the kingdom of God. And as challenging as that is, as challenging as that is, there is so much hope and victory in that as well. That, that Jesus died and was resurrected. So will we. Die in our, to ourselves. Die to our sufferings. Die in all of these ways and be resurrected with Him. So let's start reading Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, now some men coming down from Judea were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. When Paul and Barnabas had a big argument and a debate with them, the brothers appointed Paul and Barnabas with some others from among them to go up to Jerusalem to the emissaries and the elders about this issue. So they were sent out on their way by the Antioch community. They were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they were bringing great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the community and the emissaries and the elders. They reported all that God had done in helping them. 
But some, belonging to the party of the Pharisees who had believed, stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the Torah of Moses. So like I said, we've been looking at Paul and Barnabas and how their journey is taking them to the pagan, the Gentile world that's outside of the Jewish boundaries. And Gentiles are being brought into the family of God. But the persecution not only comes from outside sources coming in, the Gentile people believing that their gods are the real gods and Paul and Barnabas saying, no, it is King Jesus who is the true God. It also comes from the inside of the community itself. The tension has risen to such a level that if you read verse 1, 2, and 3, it says that the church sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem because they were like, we don't know what's going on. Paul and Barnabas teach this. There's other people who say are from the church as well teach this other thing. What are we going to do about it? So they sent Paul and Barnabas because it says in Scripture that Paul and Barnabas had a debate with this group of people and yet they were still not able to get to a resolution. I mean, if you're going to argue with Paul, how good must you be at arguing for the things to not be sorted out? And they sent them to Jerusalem to try and sort this out because they are confused. Here's what I'm trying to say. Um, Persecutions come from the outside and from the inside, and we will see that in, in the body of Christ and in the church often. And, and what's happening, if you check throughout history, what, what's going on is that Paul and Barnabas are going all around the gentle world, planting churches, and there's a group of people who were maybe disciples in the Jerusalem church who kind of took it upon themselves to go behind them and go to every place that they've been planting churches and telling them this new convert, hey, yeah, good, you got baptized, good, you believe in Jesus as Lord, that's awesome. You also need to be circumcised. You also need to become a Jew. Otherwise, you, you're not part of the family of God. And this group of people is what we know as the Judaizers. It's interesting to me that you know, Satan doesn't stop. No matter what we do, he's going to continue trying to persuade and pull people away. And it is known throughout history that when great movements of God happen, a great movement of something that looks like God also happens alongside them. It is so interesting. It happened in the Bible time and it's happening in our time. Paul and Barnabas were going from city to city and people were being brought to the family of God and then right behind them, the Judaizers come to try to take them away. There, there is known throughout the past hundred years that the U.S. has sent the most missionaries around the world for the past 100 years. And you know what also comes from the U.S.? Cults like Mormonism and stuff like that that resemble the reality. We have one great cult arising also in our day today. It happens. It happens. And I was having this conversation with a missionary from South Korea. And he told me, he was like, we are taught about this. That as movements of God are arising, also a side movement happens next to it. And some of us in campus have encountered the cult of people trying to tell us, to persuade us from the real living God to this other God. And it's happening right alongside. South Korea now statistically is known as the country that sends the most missionaries around the world in the past decade. 
and is number two in the world sending missionaries around the world. Number two, South Korea. Christianity came and grew and they sent out missionaries and with that, also a cult. Because Satan doesn't stop and it's happening to Paul and Barnabas. And it's going to happen in our day and age. So we cannot be freaked out about that. We need to be aware of what's going on. And we need to be continuously bold in preaching the truth. And this is happening from the inside to them. It's happening from the Jews themselves. So they go to Jerusalem. And they have a conversation with the people in Jerusalem. I'm going to start reading from verse 6. The emissaries and the elders were gathered together to examine this issue. After much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, God chose from among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the message of the good news and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He also did for us. He made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts through faith. Why then do you put God to the test by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But instead, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are. So Peter stands up in the middle of this discussion. I don't know how long this took, but this seems to be a great discussion happening between the leaders of the church. They're trying to figure out what's going on, what, how to go about all of this issue. I mean, they have never thought outside of their Jewish context. In their worldview, this is completely worldview shattering, and this is new to them. But they've seen the great power of God, and they've seen God testify, and Peter reminds them, don't you remember back then? When, when the keys that, that Jesus gave to me, we opened up and God opened the door for the Gentiles. And we saw the sign of the Holy Spirit in their lives. We saw them being filled with the Holy Spirit, just like we were. So Peter is telling them there, there's no difference, don't you see it? We're, we're the same. And it's a great argument to make, but I want to focus on one thing that he says that I hope we caught. He says that just like the Gentiles... So are we saved by grace. He's speaking about Jews. Just like the Gentiles have faith, so are we have faith. It is a completely misunderstanding to think and to accept the idea that Jews were saved by the works of the law. That's not what the Torah teaches and that's not what Peter, Paul and all of them understood. They understood that just like we, Jews are saved by grace, through faith. And the whole book of Galatians, the whole book of Romans, is trying to address that question. Actually, some scholars put Galatians right here after this whole situation. Some people say that what's happening in the book of Galatians and the Judaizers coming is direct result from what you see in Acts chapter 15. So Paul has to write them a letter telling them what is going, what's all about. Uh, it depends on how you read history, but that's what, what's going on. The point is Paul reminds them, and he tells them very clearly, don't you know that Abraham was justified when he believed? This is before he was circumcised. You see, he tells them, if he's the father of our faith, and he was justified by faith, 
Why are we going to be justified by anything else? And he addresses and makes this whole argument and there's so many pictures and the book of Romans gets so complicated and we're like, oh, what's going on? Because we don't understand all the background. But as simple as what Peter said is what Paul is trying to say and what the Word of God is trying to tell us. We are all saved by grace of God. We're all saved by putting our allegiance, our faith in this King named Jesus and grace is the power to live that out. So when I say faith, I'm not saying this mental recognition or this belief that I hold that, oh yes, Jesus died for my sins, so now I can go to heaven. That's not what the Bible is teaching. That's not what Peter and Paul and all of the authors of the Bible are saying. They're talking about a loyalty, an allegiance, a trust, a complete devotion to this person, Jesus as King. And they're saying, it is through that loyalty. It is by us putting our complete trust in Him and saying, whatever you say, King Jesus, we will do. It is through that that we are all saved. They, the Jews understood that God was King. That's how they understood it. They had what they call a theocracy. I know that word makes some people go clear like it. But they believed that God was King. We believe that Jesus is King. It is the same allegiance to God as King. That is what is calling us out to. And grace, when I mention the word grace, I'm not saying this nice gift that we receive so our sins can be forgiven and yay, we can go to heaven. I mean, think about it. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, be strengthened, 2 Timothy chapter 2, sorry, be strengthened by the grace of God. If, God is, if, if grace is a gift that you just receive and you're like, oh yeah, free license to do whatever I want, how can you be strengthened by it? Paul tells Titus in, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, that the grace of God, it is the power to say no to ungodliness, self-righteousness, and it is the power to say yes to all of the godly, powerful characteristics of God. Grace is a power. It's not this license that we now obtain so we can do whatever we want. And the apostles understood that. So when we say that Jews and Gentiles are like are saved by grace through faith, we're talking about this loyalty that is an act through the way that we live. Not the way that we live so we can earn the ticket to go into the kingdom, but rather we putting our trust in this king and knowing that in his kingdom we'll be completely safe and completely taken care of. And because of this king's powerful grace, we are now allowed and inspired and strengthened and empowered to live and enact it out. To live the way our king lived. When, when we speak two weeks ago about how it is necessary to suffer to enter the kingdom of God, we all go, wait a second, that is incredibly hard. How are we going to do this? Jesus says, let me give you my grace. Let me give you the grace of God. Let me give you my spirit. Let me give you all who I am. Because if Jesus is living in us, the same power, the resurrected King Jesus from the dead, the same power is at work in us to live out this beautiful, challenging, heart-wrenching gospel of King Jesus. It is the power to enact it, to live it out. That's what we're talking about when we talk about grace. And think about it. 
with all that we've been seeing and hearing about this week. Think about it. Grace is the answer. Grace is how men are going to be transformed from the horrible stupidity that we sometimes hold, that we take this privilege that we do not deserve and that society has given us, and we take advantage and oppress people and take advantage of women. It is not laws or systems that are going to change men. It's the grace of God that's going to change the hearts and minds of men. When we see the xenophobic attacks, and we see people dying and being burned, and nobody doing anything about it, do you think a system is going to change that? Nobody was doing anything about it. It's the grace of God that is going to move the hearts of men and women and say, this is not acceptable. No, 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 no. You're not going to do this to them. I'll step in and no, there's no ways. When there's pain in our own lives, I don't have to talk to you about pain. I know you know this. Every single one of us knows pain. Every single one of us at some point has experienced some sort of agony and suffering. Some of us right now might be feeling like jeepers. I don't know if I can keep going another minute. This world is too terrible. There's so much evil. These things are happening. What am I going to do about my children? Are they going to be saved? And the fear terrorizes us. And there's depression and sickness and all of these things happening around us. And we feel like, man, waking up is the most challenging thing that we can do today. It is the grace of God that's going to give us the strength to wake up the next day and face those challenging fears. It is our trust, complete allegiance in King Jesus that He's sovereign that's going to give us the hope to face those challenges head forward and say, no, we're not going to give up. So I... I I have no idea what you might be going through right now, but let me remind you of one thing today. God is bigger than that. Whatever that is. I don't know what that is for you. I know what it is for me right now. God is bigger than my pride and my arrogance and how completely unholy I am and how entitled and self-righteous I am and how much I try to take things into my own hands. God is bigger than that. Oh, and we sang it and we're like, we will crucify our pride. We were singing at church and yes, God is bigger than that. God is bigger than the mess that I see all around me. That, that some of the students that we're trying to reach out feel unsafe to go to their university. God is bigger than that. God is bigger than the crime that is always roaming around the streets. God is bigger than that. But the evil that we're so quickly to point out is the same evil that we have in ourselves and we need to take ownership of that because we need as much grace as anybody else. So when you hear me say God is bigger than that, I'm pointing at me as well. I'm not saying, oh, God will fix this so that we can live happily ever after. I'm saying, God is bigger so that He can transform all of us. First us here in this room, and then the world around us by preaching and declaring the truth that Jesus is alive today, and He's King over this whole world, and His truth 
is everlasting. And knowing Him is eternal life. And His grace is the most beautiful, empowering thing we could experience. That's what I'm trying to say. And that's what Peter was reminding them of. That is not by keeping all of these statues. Guys, remember, we are also saved by faith. Like they are. We were also part of the same family. Verse 12, I'm going to read. Then the whole group became silent and were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were describing in detail all the signs and wonders God had done through them and among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, Jacob answered, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described how God first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for his name. The words of the prophet agree as it is written after this. I will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, namely all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from old. James, and, and let me say this, I think it's an interesting note. This is the guy who was physical brother with Jesus. The other James, the apostle, died a couple of chapters ago. I don't know if you remember. He was, he was a martyr. He was beheaded. And now we have this James. Who is this James? Most likely is the brother of Jesus. The guy that didn't believe in Jesus when Jesus was walking on this earth. Who Jesus came after his resurrection and encountered him personally. This guy, James, now is one of the main leaders of the church. Just thought throwing that in there would be cool. Now he's saying, Peter is not saying anything different than what we know in our own scriptures. The book of Amos is where he takes this prophecy from, and, and without getting too much into the detail, because we'll be here for four more hours, and I know you guys get bored of me speaking. The, the whole thing is that there was going to come a restoration. And, and we talked about this all the way in Acts 2, that the Jewish mindset understood that David was going to have a son, uh, uh, somebody was going to inherit his kingdom, and that kingdom was going to be everlasting. This, this prophecy was given to David in Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 16 and onwards. And, and what's happening there is, he's prophesying over, obviously about Jesus, and Amos reminds the people of that prophecy and tells them, remember, God's going to do this for the Jews. He's going to bring that, that inheritance, that, that son of David is going to come. That family is going to come and they're going to rule. But not just for ourselves. Amos says, so that all the Gentiles can also come. So James is telling them, guys, we know it's from God. We understand we're all saved by the same way. And now we see it clearly in Scripture that God had always planned for a whole family of all nations, of every nation and tribe and language and man. We don't get tired of preaching this here. We don't because it's the truth. The reality of the gospel is seen in His family. And His family is a community that is one in spirit, one in love, one in all of these things, but diverse. In the way it looks, the way the culture it comes from, the language it speaks, the way we worship has to be diverse because we're a diverse family. And James reminds them of that. But interestingly enough, James also says this, verse 19, 
Therefore, I judge not to trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but to write to them to abstain from the contamination of idols and from sexual immorality and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has has had in every city those who proclaim him, since he's read in all the synagogues every Sabbath. Um, so they say, okay, you don't need to be circumcised, but there's some things that you need to follow. And some of us would immediately jump and be like, wait a second, but that does sound like they're giving them some specific rules and what, what's going on. But what I need us to notice is verse 21 that says, Moses from ancient generations has had in every city those who proclaim him since he's read in all the synagogues every Sabbath. By this time, I mean, so much history needs to be spoken of here, but the Roman Empire is one big sweep over everybody. But the Roman Empire gave the Jews the permission to have their synagogues and practice their religion to their own God. So what James is saying is, guys, we know that there's synagogues all over the place. And people have heard about the word of God and people have heard about this God that we're busy following. And yes, Gentiles are included and we're not going to put them aside. But people know that we are following this God and there's certain things that we do. So in order to not kind of like make a more of a confusion, guys, can you just not mess with those temple pagan things? Please just don't, don't. Practice sexual immorality, which is con- like directly linked in the pagan world to the idolatry of the gods. You would worship a god by sleeping with some priest or some priestess in the temple. Don't eat the sacrifices that are offered to these gods. Basically, all that they're trying to think is the mission needs to keep going. So we're going to do every effort to try and bring as many people as we can. They're not trying to impose these laws and for us to think like, oh, so there's the specific rules that they need to follow. James and the apostles are thinking far ahead of the mission and they're saying, okay, the Gentiles are going to be included and we're all one family, but the world around us doesn't know that. The world around us knows that we read this book every week and this is the expectations that they have. So in order to not completely close the door, we're going to live a certain way. So that they're constantly being drawn. Am I making sense with what I'm saying? That that's what's happening. In the rest of the story, we have a really, really cool story. And I wish we had time to read it. But basically, Paul and Barnabas go back. We're not going to read it. Um, go back and they read a letter to the churches of the Gentiles. And they tell them these things that... No circumcision. You don't have to become a Jew. You're part of God's family by, by grace, through faith, all the things we've been speaking about. And they tell them, just don't do these things. And people understand that. There are just two things that I want to point out before it takes forever long. Um, in verse 28, they're reading the letter. Paul and Barnabas go with Silas and um, this other guy named Judas. They go to Antioch. They read this letter. In verse 28, in the middle of the letter, sorry that I'm going so fast and getting to the middle of context. They're reading this letter telling to the Gentiles, hey, you guys are included in God's family. And he tells them, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to place on you any greater burden than these essentials. They didn't make this decision themselves. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. The apostles, the elders, the leaders of the church put themselves before the authority and leadership of the Holy Spirit. And they tell them, it's the Holy Spirit who told us, so it, is, it seemed good to Him and to us to follow suit in this regard. 
So as, as, as they are busy expanding and the movement is becoming such a diverse movement, they're not forgetting that it's the Holy Spirit who leads, the Holy Spirit who appoints, the Holy Spirit who sets the agenda, the Holy Spirit that brings us to the appointment. It, it, I thought it was so interesting. I mean, why would you write that? <laughs> why would you write that in a letter? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And then they write them the letter telling them to please abstain from the certain things that were closely associated to pagan worship. And they're saying, let's be devoted to King Jesus, King Jesus alone. Let's keep the mission in our front. And then I'm going to read from verse 30. Um, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And when they had gathered the whole group together, they delivered the letter. The people read it and rejoiced over it, its encouragement. Mm -hmm. Judah and Silas, prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters a long message and strengthened them. I want to read verse 31 again. The people read it and rejoiced over its encouragement. The true thing is that the grace of God is a hopeful, joyful, encouraging message. It's absolutely the only hope that we have is, is King Jesus. And I should have said this earlier, but I'm grateful the Holy Spirit reminded me now. When Paul writes to the Galatians and to the Romans and tells them that Jews as well as Gentiles are saved through faith and all of these things, he, he challenges them to not put their trust in any system. And the system of the Jews was the Torah, the Jewish law. That was their system. But Paul, when he uses the word, he makes a distinction between law and Torah. And if you read it in its original language, you can catch it. But basically he's saying the law, the Torah, it's just like any other law system politically. It doesn't, it's not, it's not bad, it's not evil, he tells the Romans, but it's not, it's not what saves you. It is imperative for us to understand that there's no system in this world that will ever save us. We cannot put our trust in any system. We cannot put our trust on any worldly structure. We need to put our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. In the world that we see and the mess that we see around us. Like I said earlier, it, it is only Jesus that's going to change it. But think about how hopeful that is. That the mess that we see around us, it's not it. That there's something that can happen. It is a hopeful, encouraging, joy-filled message to know that I am not this messed up person that I think that I am. That I can actually, God can actually transform me. That I don't have to stay in my messed up patterns of thinking. That I don't have to stay in my worldly world views that don't make any sense. That I don't have to stay addicted to this thing or completely enslaved to this other thing. That there is freedom in the grace of God. It is a hopeful message for the world around us that the evil that is constantly perpetuating us is not it is not the final decision. It's not the last blow. Jesus is going to and has overcome. And the transformation can and will happen if people, if we ourselves put our hope and trust and complete allegiance to Him as King. 
and I know we suffer, and I know it's painful, and I know it seems crazy to even think that way, because we look at the world and we're like, how? Believe in God. Believe Him. Believe that He's true because He is truth. Believe what He's telling you and He's telling me. That His grace can change you and me. Believe them. Just this once. Come on. Just faith a small mustard seed. It is a hopeful message. And the Gentiles understood it because when they heard this, after the whole argument that they were happening, they sent Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas come back with all their leaders of the Jerusalem church and they read to them this letter aloud and they were like, guys, there's nothing else. You are part of this family just like we are part of the family. Let's be mission-minded together. The grace of God is available to you as it is available to us. Let's just put our loyalty, our allegiance, our faith in the same King. And how do they respond? They celebrate. They're encouraged. They rejoice. They're saying, thank you, Lord Jesus, that there's victory over all these things. And we, church, we can do the same. So, let me say it one more time, because I think it's, man, it's in my heart, and it's, it's, it's because of everything that we've been seeing this week. And the reality is that this week we heard so much about it, but it's been happening all around us, all the time. So this week is not any different in that sense. Maybe it's, we're more aware of it, but evil is always around us. And Satan and the authorities and principalities are always causing destruction. And our own sinful behavior is making a hectic mess in the lives of our own selves and the people around us. It's been happening. But the grace of God is the power to change that. The grace that King Jesus offers will transform you and me. And if today you're feeling like, man, I just want a little bit of hope. I don't know if I can carry on. I don't know what else to do. What Jesus says, He says, give me your very. Give me the strength that you have for today. Just give me that and I will change you. Follow me and I will make you. Peter says in Second Peter chapter 1 that it is through our knowledge of Him that we become partakers in the divine nature of God and we escape the corruption of the world. It is through putting our trust, our faith, our complete devotion in King Jesus that your life, that my life, that our life, that our community's life, that our country's life, that our world is going to be changed. Please remember to put your hope and trust, not in any system, not in any other person, not even in ourselves. Let's put our trust only and solely in King Jesus as our God, eternal Father from heaven. The one that is and will be and has been. The one and truly Alpha and Omega, the King, the Lord Almighty, the only name by which we can be saved. The name of Jesus Christ.